Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. of our new series entitled uh, Our Table, a Thanksgiving Recipe. And last week, uh, we began with an overview and an introduction of where we're going. Uh, this week, we're going to kind of dig in uh, to the first part of our passage that we're going to be looking at these next several weeks. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Um, by way of review, you might recall that uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy uh, established uh, the church at Thessalonica on Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, they had moved up from Philippi, which is the first church established on the European continent, and had gone up into Macedonia, and they came to Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a large City. It was known for its commerce. It was on the waterfront. It also uh, was situated on the main Roman road that went right through it. And so literally, uh, it was a place where people from the known world at that time traveled through as they, as they moved back and forth. It also had the distinction, although it uh, was a Roman colony, it was an independent city and in that Rome had granted it its own local rule. And so it had its own officials. Uh, there was a synagogue there. Uh, those who were of the Jewish uh, faith were able to, to worship freely in the synagogue. And as Paul and his missionary team arrived... Uh, they did what they would do in any of the cities that they arrived at if there was a synagogue. They would go there and they would use that place to begin to share from the scriptures that Jesus Christ is in fact the, the promised Messiah and that his death and resurrection, they would argue from the scripture, demonstrates that truth. And he did that on uh, consecutive Sabbaths. And uh, towards the end of that time, if you read in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, it says that there were Jewish people, God-fearers, that is, those who were not Jewish, they had not converted, but they went to the synagogue and they believed in the God of the Jews, and not just a few prominent uh, women who were representative of the pagan or the Gentile population, the Greek population there, that converted and became followers of Jesus. Now, that last group, the, the prominent women, well, you know, behind every prominent woman is a man that they are helping to guide and, and, and to to influence, and and these women, obviously, they had social standing, and in their relationships with their husbands and others in the community, when they came to faith in Christ, things began to get shaken up, because in a polytheistic 
culture, that is, people that believed in many gods, and especially in Roman culture, each city or region had gods assigned to it or that oversaw it. And it was people's compliance with the worship of those gods that ostensibly would result in blessing on that community, blessing on that region, on that city, on the people. And when bad things happen, they would look around and say, well, wait a minute, who's not worshiping our God or our gods? Do you see that? And so now when you have some prominent women and their influence in their homes, with their families, with their husbands, in the businesses that may be associated with all that, and they're standing as citizens in that community, now they are following Christ. That's shaking things up. And so, there were those who opposed this, and they went out and got some people, if you will, um, to create problems um, to, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, just to, to shake things up, to stir things up. In fact, it was an angry mob. And this mob was directed at Paul and Silas and Timothy. And it was so bad that they had to flee the city. But there were converts like a man named Jason who they went after instead. And basically, as they drug Jason and other followers, new followers of Christ to the magistrates, They were saying, these are the men who have brought this message that is literally turning the world upside down or shaking the world up. And that was the message of the gospel. The gospel gets into people and the places where those people live, it changes things because it changes how people live. Well, Paul and his traveling companions... Uh, They went to Athens, and then eventually they went to Corinth, where they spent 18 months doing ministry. And it was at the tail end of their time in Corinth, where Paul was concerned, what happened to our brothers and sisters, these, these new followers of Jesus in Thessalonica? What happened to the church? We left there, there was persecution, there were trouble. We didn't get to really finish the work that we wanted. We gave them the basics... But was that enough? Are, are, they, are they still a strong community? Or have they become a strong community? What's going on with them? And so he sends Timothy back to check. And Timothy goes back and he checks. And then he comes back to Paul in Corinth. And he says, Paul, I've got great news for you. Man, They are living into the very best of of what we encourage them to. The foundation that they laid. uh, The gospel. The good news of who Jesus is. The things we taught. They are practicing and they are strong in those things. Now there's a few questions. There's a few issues they're still trying to work out. Some of those issues have to do with... um, their belief in Christ's return and how they should live for Christ and at the same time live believing His return is imminent or near. What does that mean? How should we live? Um, and, and so 
Paul is going to respond with these Thessalonian correspondences, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And one of the main themes as you read Thessalonians, or Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, is the theme of Christ's return. The theological word for that is uh, eschatology, end times. And Paul has a lot to say about that because when Timothy came back, he said, listen, Paul, they're doing great. They're doing good. There's still persecution and opposition, but they're standing strong. But they have some questions and there's still some things they're trying to work out in their new faith. One of them is how should we live in face of the belief that Christ's return is imminent? Okay. And so you're going to see that as a theme. But in the first 10 verses of chapter 1, the theme is thanksgiving. Paul is going to identify different aspects of how they're living, of how their faith has grown, of how that has affected not only their own community, but the region around them. And he's going to identify them. Actually, between verses 1 and 10, there are six things that Paul is going to note and identify that he gives thanks for. In other words, what Paul is doing, he's saying, you know what? I gave you a recipe, the basics, the things you needed to know to walk and to follow Jesus as a a new faith community. I gave you those things. And now I'm hearing from Timothy that, that you continue to walk in those things. And he's going to identify six major things that he wants to give thanks for. He wants to give thanks for. Um, That at their table, if you will, their fellowship, that they're serving up that recipe. And it's evident in their faith community. Okay? That's what's going on here. I'm going to talk about two of them today. Two of the six today. But in order to do that, you need to open your Bibles up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Well, let me see. The first part of 4. The first part of 4. 1 through the first part of 4. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and look at it or your electronic device. I'll read this out loud. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Verse 2. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired in our, uh, inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the very first part, or just let's look at, uh, I'm sorry, verse four. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Okay? So those four verses. We're going to identify two of the six things. Number one, look at 
verse 1. That is called uh, the introduction or the greeting. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. You're going to find that in Paul's writings, it's not uncommon for him to give a greeting saying grace and peace to you. Okay? As we look at that, it causes us not only to identify something, but to ask ourselves as our faith community, is that something that's present in our church in a way that we can give thanks for? So what you see here is it's a church that's rooted in the grace and peace of God. Okay? It's rooted in the grace and peace of God. And the question we have to ask ourselves are, are we a church rooted in the grace and peace of God? Are we a church rooted in the grace and peace of God? Let me explain what I mean, and let me kind of, kind of help clarify what Paul's alluding to. We know that the church exists not a result, as a result of our own work, but the work that God initiated and completed through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so that we as a church exist because of what God has done in and through our individual lives, but collectively, because this, this is written not necessarily to individuals, but to a group of people, right? The faith community at Thessalonica. It was founded by the grace of God. We know that we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's a work of God that none of us can boast. We are totally dependent upon God's grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. Through Christ's death on the cross, His shed blood that cleanses us from our sin. Jesus' resurrection from the dead that He conquered not only sin, but it's penalty death, and that we share in, we are partners in, we share in that same resurrection life that Christ gives us. New life. That we literally have a spiritual rebirth. Look at this verse, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates His love for us in this. He demonstrates His love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we know that. That's a truth. And, and it's by virtue of His grace that we're saved. It's by virtue of His grace that we come together as a believing community. God initiates, we respond. But because of His grace, we now have peace with God. Formerly, we were what? hostile towards Him, if you will, enemies towards Him. Our sins separated us from Him. There was enmity that existed between God and man. But God was at work reconciling us to Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. So quite literally, we are a faith community, right? 
the Thessalonians were a faith community rooted in the grace and the peace of God. And he gave thanks for that. He was giving thanks for that. You are a community, Thessalonians, rooted in the grace and the peace of God. I thank God for that. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we a community rooted in the grace and peace of God? Okay? Can we come to our table and give thanks for that? Now, there's a second thing we're going to see. As you read on, it says, We always thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. Do you know that Paul established in the churches and set an example of something called pervasive prayer? That prayer isn't part of the ministry. Prayer is the ministry. It's that important. And Paul prayed continually. And later on in this verse, or in this, uh, in this book, he's going to talk about the importance of prayer. Right? He modeled that for them. We believe in pervasive prayer. We are a church that values it so much that we encourage you to go to the back of the room anytime during the service to the cross and receive prayer. There are people waiting for you to pray. We have intercessory prayer at this church. We have healing prayer at this church. We are a church that values prayer. And that was something that Paul modeled for the Thessalonians. And he reminds them that we we continually pray for you. Do you know that our staff at this church and the leadership of this church continually prays for you? Do you know that? We do. We do. That's an important part of any faith community. But then he goes on to say this. We remember before our God and our Father three things. Now, these are the main ingredients if you will, of the recipe that Paul gave them. Okay? And Timothy comes back and says, man, they are, they are following that recipe and they are serving these things up at their table. In fact, it is so prominent that it's going to have impact in the whole region. And they're going to be known for these things. And everything that follows verse 3, in the rest of the seven verses is an unpacking, as an explanation of how these three things are present in the community. Not only that, that these three things that he's going to mention that are main ingredients of a community of faith, they're essential. They are going to be impacted through the entire context of this letter. He's going to return to these things in various ways and identify ways in which they're present and working themselves out with the Thessalonians. That's how important these three things are. So let's read about them. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, that's number one, your labor prompted by love, number two, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, in love. Okay? Faith, hope, and love. They were a church characterized by those three things. Faith, hope, and love. 
And so the question we should ask ourselves is, are we a church characterized by faith, hope, and love? You'll see these three things, this triad, if you will, together in other places throughout Paul's writing. Faith, hope, and love. They're linked in other places in Scripture. Just as grace and peace are, so are faith, hope, and love. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we a church characterized by faith, hope, and love? Because the church at Thessalonica was. These are the main ingredients. When Lori and I were first married, I became uh, the beneficiary of her great cooking. Of all of her sisters, Lori was the one that would sit in the kitchen while her grandmother and then by her mother would cook. And Lori would watch and Lori would observe and, and they would put things together and they'd cook things. And, and Lori's head is like a recipe book. Now, I didn't know that when we got married. I mean, that was a perk after the fact. But she would make things just like I'd never had before. I mean, it was wonderful. I spent most of my early years as the the son of a single parent mom who came home from work, who was tired and exhausted, didn't want to cook much. I ate most of my meals out. So I didn't really have a lot of home cooking. So I get married and Lori, she's just cooking up these great recipes. Well, one evening she made a salad. Now those of you that have come to our house or those of you, you know Lori makes great killer salads. And so this is early in our marriage, and and Lori makes this salad. And there are three main ingredients to her salad. Just as Paul is saying, there are three main ingredients to your walk with Christ as a faith community in Thessalonica. And all three need to be present. And he thanks God because they are. And so I'm eating this salad, and I see Lori's three main ingredients. The first is the produce. I mean, she put things in the salad bowl I'd never seen before. Her dad, by the way, was a grocer. And so she grew up her whole life with fresh vegetables and produce from her father's store. I didn't even know what those things were. Right? So produce was number one. Number two was seasoning. She would... She would put seasoning in the salad, in the produce. And then number three was the dressing, which was a combination of various kinds of vinegars and oil. And she'd take those three and she'd mix them all together. And man, it was great. But one day, one evening, she served up the salad and she said, How is it? Now, I'm young I don't know any better. Men, don't do this at home. That particular night, there was an excess of oil in the salad. Okay? I said to her, well, the salad reminds me of an oil slick. Okay? Now, 35 years of marriage later, how should I have done that? I should have said, you know, Lori, 
man, the produce is great. Look at, look at the vegetables you've thrown in there, the way you've cut them, and, the, and I mean, the mixture of the lettuces, and man, it's fantastic, and, and the seasoning, man, it's spot on. I mean, it just makes my mouth water, and, and the dressing, I can taste the three different vinegar, the rice vinegar, the balsamic vinegar, the red wine vinegar, all of it you put in there. I can taste the oil, and the oil's a little more prominent than everything else. Right? That would be how I would do it today. And then she would say, oh, you don't like it. Because <laughs> she knows. But this is what Paul is doing. Okay? Paul is going to take these three basic things, and he is going to say, these things are present. He's going to explain in the next seven verses ways that they are resulting in his giving thanksgiving for six different things that result at, uh, that are a result of those three things. And then he's going to go on and he's going to say, and you know what, your whole thing's messed up. No, he's not going to do that. He's going to say, and by the way, as he moves on in the letter, here are a few nuances or things that you have questions about in your recipe. I want to help you with so you can do better. Does that make sense? That, that's, that's what Paul was doing there. And so the question is, are we a church characterized by faith, hope, and love? Now, faith, hope, and love. They're a triad. They're present in other places. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Let's look at that. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Okay? Those three, those are the essentials. Those are the main ingredients. And those are the things that are going to remain forever. So we need to focus on those things, right? Now, let's look at faith. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. All right, this is good stuff. In the original language, in that context of that verse, as it explains faith, basically what it is saying is that faith is a firm, solid confidence, a calm courage towards greater unseen spiritual realities. It is concrete. It is rooted. It is grounded. There is confidence and it gives one calm courage to believe in the great spiritual realities that are present but not seen. Okay? That's faith. And faith needs to be at work in every faith community. That's why it's called a faith community. But it goes on. The hope and the hope for the assurance of what we do not see is literally referring to reaching for something that's in the future as if it's in the grasp of the present. You're living into that hope and you're reaching to grab hold of it as if it's right here in the present. That's what Paul was giving thanks for in the Thessalonians faith community. Okay? But then, there's love. Love. 
Let's look at John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I've loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove that you are my disciples. They labored in love. They worked out relationships in the basis of love so that it was visible to those around them and identified them as followers of Christ. Are we a church characterized by faith, hope, and love? Are we a church characterized by that? Now, there's an election on Tuesday. And a a lot of us have agendas that are political. And a lot of us take and ascribe Christian values to those things and use that as a basis of why we believe what we believe, why we're passionate about the things we're going to vote for, which party we think best represents us, and so on and so forth. But I want you to read something that John Ortman says about this. Next slide. John Ortberg says this, the first casualty of culture wars is not truth but love. Not truth, but love. Isn't that ironic? Those who are supposed to be identified with the love of Christ stand on a truth. And because of their zeal about the truth they believe they stand on, they forget about the love they're called to live into. He says, a watching world will be persuaded not when our values are promoted, but when they are incarnated. In other words, are you and I going to live the gospel, not reduce it to a set of values that we ascribe to political or cultural movements. You see the difference? So are we a community of faith, hope, and love? Finally, let's look at hope. 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4. Now, remember, the Thessalonians have questions about what? End times, Christ's return, eschatology. And so hope is prominent in Paul's writing to them because he wants to remind them of the hope that they have, but how they should live in light of that hope. That's what a lot of the rest of the letter's about. But look at what Peter says. And this really grabs the essence of what Paul is going to communicate to them. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept for you in heaven. And every single one of us as followers of Jesus and as a faith community, one of the hallmarks of our faith along with Faith and love is hope. It's hope in the return of Jesus and our inheritance that God has reserved for us. It can't be stolen, taken, spoiled, rusted. None of those things. It is eternal. It's imperishable. And it's ours in Christ Jesus. Right? That's good stuff, isn't it? Man, if you're not excited, check your pulse. All right, so that's just the first three verses. Oh, verse four. Well, that goes along with grace and peace. He talks about their election. God had chosen them as to be recipients of the gospel. 
It wasn't because of anything they did. God in his sovereignty and his providence elected them, chose them to receive the gospel and initiated the events that resulted in the church that they had become. That's what verse 4 is talking about. Okay? On communion Sundays, we are reminded of not only Christ's death, but his coming again. On the night that he was betrayed, the night before he was to go to the cross and give his life for you and I, he took bread and broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you eat this, eat this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after he broke the bread, he took the cup and he poured it out saying, this is the cup of the new covenant which is poured out in my blood for you, for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you drink this, Drink this in remembrance of me. Now, here's the good news. Are you ready? I want to jump on a, on a chair and, and shout it out. Here's what we have to be thankful for. We are a faith community that lives with the unshakable hope and confidence of this. That we eat the bread, we drink the cup, And we declare Christ's sacrifice until He comes again. And He is coming again. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ is coming again. Man, that's good stuff. And Paul's going to remind the Thessalonians of that. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Father, we thank you for the question, are we a church rooted in your grace and peace, aware that we exist by your providence? Lord, you have chosen us to be this church at this time in Eagle River. Father, are we a church that's characterized by your your faith, by hope, by love? Father, we want all people to know that we are your followers because of our love for one another. Lord, we want to incarnate. We want to live the reality of the gospel in the world that you've called us to. And Father, as we do that, we do it with the hope, the assurance that you're coming again. Thank you, Jesus. As we take communion today, Lord, I ask that we would encounter that hope in new and fresh ways and that we would leave that table assured, confident that your promises are being and will be fulfilled. I pray and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Come forward as you're ready. Take the cup and the bread or the cracker. Go ahead and eat the cracker, but then retain the cup and we'll drink it together.
Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life for ransom shed for us his precious blood. Who is love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise. He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. Ooh, on the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy, Flow the vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Who his love will not remember. Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. No love is higher, no love is wider, no love is deeper. No love is truer. Let's drink to the love of God that is ours through Christ our Lord. Let's drink together. Amen.